With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. everybody welcome to episode number 146 of sports cards live it is wednesday night june the 22nd 2022 and my name is jeremy lee i would like to thank scott maxwell and greg harrison from tag grading for joining last saturday and a heads up to everybody the fifth and final episode of the reveal series will be on saturday july the 9th this Saturday coming up on Sports Cards Live, our guest will be Nate Ballant, also known as In Cardboard Veritas. Looking forward to having Nate on the show on Saturday. I would like to shout out the Center Stage app. Download the app in the App Store for quick comps, whether you are scrolling through card shows, strolling through card shows, or pricing your cards. If you are a vendor, the app is continuously improving. So please join me in supporting these hobbypreneurs as they endeavor to make the hobby better than it already is. I would also like to shout out channel sponsor, Pristine Auction. PristineAuction.com is one of the most trusted sports memorabilia and collectibles auction sites. Auctions on PristineAuction.com started just $1 each day, and there are thousands of autographed items available. They also sell thousands of sports cards, starting with no reserves in their weekly sports card auction, which runs Sunday to Sunday and has everything from vintage to ultra modern, including raw and graded singles and wax. Head over to pristineauction.com. Use code SCL when you register to get $10 off your first purchase. And I would also like to shout out the Hobbies Middleman service, Trade Safe, your risk free alternative for trades and buy sells from any peer to peer social media platform or marketplace. Trade Safe has created a service, a process, and a team that makes remote dealing much safer than ever before, is now fully digital, and the website was completely relaunched. It's easier to use than ever. Check out tradesafehub.com. As always, I do want to thank all you subscribers, viewers, podcast listeners. If you are not yet subscribed, please take a moment and do so. And as always, tonight, your questions, your comments are in play. And I must say, it's kind of fun to do a Wednesday episode when this when Sports Cards Live first launched in April of 2020. I was doing Wednesday and Saturday episodes for almost a year and then uh, stopped the Wednesdays. But here we are with a special Wednesday episode, and I'm happy to have tonight's guest with us. He started out in the hobby in 1992 at the age of five, 
filling out binder pages with Chicago Bulls cards. Fast forward, he started his consignment business early in the pandemic and quickly made a name for himself as a trustworthy seller. He recently halted that business for reasons we will get into soon. And then he has accepted a position with PWCC as a sales rep. His favorite athletes are Michael Porter Jr., Nikola Jokic, Jerry Rice, and Michael Jordan. His favorite teams are the Denver Nuggets and the Washington Commanders. Originally from and currently hailing in Quincy, Illinois, let's bring him out. Nate Frericks, welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you doing tonight? Man, I'm good. I'm juiced after that intro. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, oh, it's my pleasure. I've been uh, looking forward to having you. And uh, you know, when you when we when you told me that you were a Washington Commanders fan, I had to like double check my brain and be sure what sport is he talking about. I, I figured it out. Obviously, how are you getting as a fan? How are you getting used to that name change? It's still hard. I have to. I have to remind myself the name every time I say it. I usually say Washington fan. It's easier, especially in the last three years, they've had three different names. So um, I just go with Washington, but uh, it's, it's an adjustment. And, um, you know, thankfully there's not many of us, so you don't have many people struggling with that problem right now. <laughs> well, yeah. It, I liked the Washington football club. I was getting used to that. I thought it made sense. I was actually surprised that they went and added a true nickname. Were, were you expecting them to, how did you, where did you think they were going to go with that? So it's funny because they, I, I follow a lot of the, the beat writers and the, the social media pages that cover the Washington um, commanders. And it was funny because they pulled the fans of these pages and the fans always voted in favor of keeping Washington football team. So being the Washington fan that I knew, I knew that what the fans wanted wouldn't actually happen. So that's when I knew that they would go with a nickname. Um, but it was, it was, it was funny because different things got leaked by different people. So it was, you, you never really knew what name is, it was, but I'm just glad we have a name that I think will be around for a long time. And you're, you're okay with it. The commanders, you like it? Yeah, I'm okay with it. It's going to be hard to adjust um, because I became a fan with my with my grandpa back in the day. So it was, you know, it was it was Redskins. Just that that was the team. I understand the the changes, but uh, you know, I support um, the Washington Commanders. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. You know, in due course, you will get used to it and not think twice, right? Just Absolutely, the way it goes. So you know, as mentioned in the intro, you are now with PWCC, but we actually scheduled this episode before I knew you had taken that position. We were already planning for you to come on the show. And then you said, Hey, by the way, uh, <laughs> I'm taking, you know, it's, I'm going to make it public soon. I'm going to be uh, taking this role with, with PWCC. The, it's a big change in your life. Obviously what I want to know is how is your wife, how's your family uh, responding to this, this really this change in your journey as a, you know, as far as your career goes. Yeah, no, it was it was a big adjustment um, at at home for sure, and and you know my family is 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 a big reason why I made the change, um, and it's it's been it's been really great to be honest. I got some downtime in between, you know, um, um, shutting down consignments and and transitioning to the PWCC position, and um, you know I'm working from home currently. Um, so I think I don't think anybody's as excited as my three year old daughter that can that can pop in and and give me a hug whenever she wants. And, uh, I can't, um, I, I can't deny that I like that a lot too. So it's, it's been pretty good. 
Yeah, I guess the whole the whole shift in the way that the, the workplace is moving towards remote uh, for lots of people is has that benefit of I think a lot of parents spending more time with their kids, their their young kids especially. So good. I'm glad to hear it. Glad to hear that it's got the, the benefits that, that you hope to get out of it. Let's go through your hobby history a little bit. You started as a kid in the 90s. And when I did the intro, I skipped from, you know, you're filling binder pages in 92 all the way till really 2020. I basically fast forwarded past 28 years. Can you take a few minutes and just fill us in? Like, what has your hobby activity been between, you know, getting involved in the age of five right through until you started the War of Sports Cards um, in 2020 or so? Yeah, no, it's been a it's been a fun journey growing up in the 90s in Illinois. Um, a basketball player myself, it was, you know, he had to be a Bulls fan. And I was lucky to grow up um, as a kid and a card collector during that Bulls dynasty with, with you know, Jordan Pippen and Rodman and everybody else. Um, so, so really, you know, my journey early on was it was never really about chasing super rare, you know, um, hard to find cards. It was more about just getting as many Bulls cards as I could. Um, obviously always targeted Michael Jordan first, but, you know, I was just buying packs with whatever money I could. I would get 20 bucks here and there to water the neighbor's flowers when they would go out of town. And, you know, all of that money went to the LCS that we had at the time. And, um, it went to packs and those packs went straight into binders. Um, and I still, it's funny, I still have those, those binders and, you know, every now and then you pull them out and you're like, you know, should I do something with these? And it's like, no, I'm just going to look at them and, and it's going to take me back to those days and how I felt during those days. And then I'll put them away and do it again. And, you know, in a year. So that was the early stages. And then I have a similar story to a lot of people, you know, I kind of uh, got more interested in, in girls and sports as I got into high school and in college and played basketball in college. And uh, um, eventually, you know, had enough income to sort of get back into, you know, things I couldn't get into in cards when I was younger. Um, that was probably around really probably 2012 um, was the first time I kind of came back in. And as a Redskins fan, uh, if you guys don't remember, that was RG3's rookie year, um, which was an electrifying year for Redskins fans for um, that that season, at least until he went down. Um, but luckily I was too poor to afford RG three cards at that time. Um, you know, so I was, I was buying other players, um, but I was kind of in and out for, for the next few years, um, always kind of monitoring, but not really, didn't really have a direction in the hobby at that, at that time. Um, and then in 2017, I came back, you know, again, full time and, um, was kind of buying, I liked, so in 2017, I, I had been coaching high school basketball for a little bit and, and had the opportunity to coach against some of these prospects that ended up in the NBA. So the first card I bought when I got back in 2017 was a Harry Giles Silver Prism rookie card because I um, coached in a tournament that he was in and his stuff was super cheap. And then that got the ball rolling and I never looked back. So. And then, and then you decide to start the War of Sports Cards. We're gonna we're gonna get into that in a couple of seconds here. I have a bunch of questions on that, but quick hello. We have a few people in the chat. Jeff McMahon, what's going on? Yeah, a rare, very rare Wednesday show for uh, for Sports Cards Live. You know, used to I think I think uh, back in the day when I used to do this regularly, people knew it was Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. So 
It's a bit of a shocker uh, tonight for sure. Paul, what's going on? Hello to you. Rich, great to see you. Troy's Collectibles, good to see you as well, guys. Thanks for joining. So here's what I want to do next. I want to I want to talk about the name of your business, the war or your your old business now, the Wharf Sports Cards. I, you know, one of the thing one of the things I love about doing this show is that I get to know people so much better, and more so than just you know by your your Instagram persona or your Twitter account. It's I really want to get to know people, and I want to I want the audience to get to know the people too. I think that's kind of what what I, one of the things I bring to the to the hobby, and I really enjoy doing that. So I want to get into that because you know I do know the story, but I want you to share it. Tell us a bit about your father and the name of, of uh, the business, the Wharf Sports Card. Yeah, yeah, no, I I love the story. Um, so the Wharf Sports Cards, the Wharf specifically, um, it, it comes from my dad. So my dad passed away um, right before I turned two years old, um, and and. I had um, an older sister, an older brother, and actually a younger sister. Um, at that time, my dad owned a monument company. He was a, a business owner himself, always always had dreams of owning his own business and eventually starting his own business. But um, when he passed away, it was uh, he, he, you know, had a business that my mom helped him with. And, and it was just my mom with four kids under the age of six and a, a business to figure out. So, um, you know, I grew up without my dad, but I always kind of, you know, still looked up to him and, and, and wanted to, you know, uh, be like him and, and, and always wanted to make him proud. And, and it quickly became, you know, my my number one goal or the thing I looked forward to the most as a kid was being a dad. It, it wasn't the, the, the normal things kids look up to. It was I, I couldn't wait to be a dad to have those relationships, at least from the dad perspective that I didn't get, you know, as a kid. Um, so, so fast forward, um, you know, 2020, uh, right around when I had my, um, daughter, actually, um, my mom was in town and we were, I was helping her clean out a storage unit and I came across this wooden sign and it, it said the wharf on it. Um, and it's, it's actually hung up in the office. I, I meant to bring that, but, uh, I asked her what that sign was about. And um, I remember kind of seeing the sign randomly a, a while back, but didn't know the story. And she said, my dad made that sign um, because it was his kind of pipe dream to open up a restaurant on this lake that they always went to. And he wanted to call it the wharf. And that was the sign he made to sort of, you know, remind himself that that was kind of his dream. Um, so when I found that sign, I, I, I knew right away, like, that's going to be something important to me. And, um, you know, a few months later, I had this opportunity to start this brand and this business and never thought twice about what the name would be. Um, so a lot of meaning behind the wharf and the wharf sports cars. I want to ask, so, you know, well, I want to tell, I guess, when I first realized that the, the wharf sports cards the instagram account was now a consignment company i wondered where do you get the name the wharf from like why the wharf you know i'm sure a lot of people come up with they have assumptions and theories and uh you know it's not like it's that out there of a name it, it seems like a regional sort of name that yeah. kind of thing but i wondered and it's just really cool to now understand the full reason why that your dad wanted to open a restaurant called the wharf and now you're called that's what you decided to call your your consignment business what was the 
the next question I do have is like the opportunity to, to start this business. How did how did you identify the opportunity? What was going on in the world at the time or in the hobby uh, and in your personal life that allowed you to start this business? Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of things aligned at, at the right time. But so March 2020, when when COVID kind of really hit, um, I was teaching and coaching high school basketball at a at a public school around here, um, a, a very low income public school. Um, but I had been coaching and teaching high school for seven, eight years at that point. Um, and I'd been sort of buying and selling cards on the side, um, a little bit of collecting and a little bit to sort of just have some extra income. So there was a little bit of both there. Um, and I'd been talking to my wife for probably a year at that point, just kind of hinting, like, I, I think I can do something with this full time at some point. The goal was really another year from then to to be able to make that move. But when COVID hit, um, as teachers, we were we were sent home um, and schools were shut down and we didn't go back. Um, so from March through August, um, I was paid as a teacher and never worked a day Um in, in that role again. So I really just poured everything into cards in, in that time um, and decided pretty quickly, you know, a month or two into that, that I was just not going to go back to teaching and coaching. I think I can make this thing work. Um, so, you know, I really, I think that's when I started my Instagram page as well was around March or April of that time. And, you know, I never had the goal of starting a consignment service. I just wanted to get deeper in the hobby and build relationships and get to know people and, and just make connections and, and, see what happened. You know, it was never about making money and, and, uh, it was never about finding a service that the hobby needed. It was just, how can I have fun with this and make a full-time income doing it? Um, and then, you know, so obviously that led me into transacting a lot and some of that was on eBay. Some of that was elsewhere, but I saw opportunities. I saw gaps in the consignment services that were offered at the time. Um, and just having built those relationships with people in the hobby, I felt like I had a good idea of what those gaps were and what collectors really wanted in a consignment service that I thought I could offer. Um, and, and frankly, the two biggest things were speed and communication at that point. Um, there was no, at that point, there was not a consignment service on eBay that said, we will guarantee your cards will be listed in this time frame. I brought that to the table with a three-day guarantee. Um, and then I we built out a system that basically shared and tracked and, and communicated above and beyond the entire, you know, process of a consignment. So that's the, the foundation of it was built on relationships and trust, speed and communication. And then it kind of just snowballed and rolled from there. It, it really turned into something bigger than I thought it would faster than I thought it would. But um, I knew there was the opportunity. Did you have a staff? Yeah. So at the time um, when I made that announcement, um, I think it's been, it's been at least two months now, maybe over two months. I had two full-time employees and a part-time employee and, and myself. Um, I gave them more of a heads, much more of a heads up than that. Um, but, but yeah, I did have three employees. Yeah. Just, uh, you, you had a, you had a full business going and all because of, uh, the pandemic and 
being a teacher and not being able to work right and this and this legitimately did start in my basement um at that time so at that time in march 2020 i was living with my wife and my um daughter that was one at the time in a 900 square foot house with a 400 square foot basement and that's where this whole thing started we we quick quickly moved into a, a better house and then i eventually moved into an office but uh yeah it did it was one of those covid startups <laughs> so let's let's then let's now look back obviously as 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 i know and i you know i i'm sure some viewers don't know uh, but all your followers in, on instagram know that you've now closed the business you are no longer doing uh, consignment sales uh, under the Wharf Sports Cards banner. So a few questions about that. Um, the first one I want to ask you has to do with your with your father, and and this is a, this is a loaded question. Uh, just so the audience knows, I, I I'm teeing this one up for you because uh, we had this conversation. I want you to share it. But how did your father's death, when you were almost two years old, impact your decision to to close up the business? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think you know, him dying that young, right before I was two, I, I essentially don't have memories of my dad. So I had a different perspective on everything than a typical kid in a normal family would have. Um, so, you know, as I got older, um, and, I, and I said earlier, I always wanted to be a dad. So when I had, you know, when I became a dad three years ago, a little over three years ago. Um, you know, I knew that those moments, all of those moments mattered a lot. And it's, it's a tricky position because as a dad, you know, my wife stays home as well with that was important to us. Um, and so you're kind of expected as a dad to, to be the breadwinner, uh, make enough money to support everybody, but also be there. Um, and that's not always easy to do all of those things well. And um, I quickly found myself pouring a lot of my time and energy into the business because it needed it at the time. And I, it, you know, the, the idea was that it, at the end of a, a certain timeline, it would really pay off for the family and we would get some of that time back. But it was getting to that threshold where, you know, I wasn't willing to sacrifice uh, those moments with my my wife and my daughter um, that I'll never get back for something that I could potentially do later in life or any other time of my life if I if I want to. Um, and then, you know, we can get into the details of PWCC later. But, you know, when an opportunity like the PWCC opportunity presented itself and it was going to allow me to stay in the space, uh, have those relationships I still have and build more of. Um, but also get some of that flexibility back in my in my day. It was a no brainer for me. Yeah. OK, no, it makes sense. And I appreciate you sharing your, you know, it's really your personal story with uh, with yeah. myself in the audience. It's interesting. And it just, you know, it just goes to show that there's so much more behind uh, the 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 Instagram accounts, the Twitter accounts, uh, you know, the names on Facebook. There's so much more to the people than than you really can ever imagine uh, knowing just from following them on social media. So thanks for sharing that. Of course. Looking back on on the war of sports cards consignment business, what what did you learn from the business that you weren't expecting to learn when you went into it? So many things, so many things, but but really really what I like to keep it simple, but but 
to shed some light is just how much time it takes to build something impactful um, at all, but especially in a space like this. Um, and, and how important using your time efficiently is because you can quickly waste time and fall behind quickly in a, in a, in a business in, in, in this space. Um, so like just the overall impact and value of time, I learned so much about, about, and, um, you know, on the other side of that is like, like I touched on how valuable time is, um, you know, since I was giving so much of it up, uh, and, and sacrificing some time with my family, I've learned the value there, but also like within the actual service itself, um, it, it was a time giving service. I was giving people their time back to take care of, uh, listing cards, shipping cards, selling cards, handling messages. I was, they were getting time back and I was doing that service for them. So I could see, how much more those people could do with that time as well. So really uh, just the overall impact of time and value of time on, on everything in the ecosystem. Let me, let me throw this at you. Um, did you learn anything about other hobbyists? Like in generally speaking, did, did you learn anything about the, the expectations that your clients had on a consignment service? Um, did you learn anything about any collectors that you thought, that might have like opened your eyes to a, a certain approach to the hobby. Um, speak to those sorts of things if you can. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of stuff there. So, so, you know, in terms of expectations and stuff within the hobby, this is something I've had conversations with before and, you know, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, but um, expectations across the board are, are pretty high for people in this space, participants in this space. And I think, um, I think it's mostly a really good thing because, you know, when you're talking about things like deliverables, like, you know, processing my consignment quickly, shipping my cards out quickly, paying me out quickly, like you should have high expectations on on stuff like that. Um, but sort of on your point earlier, you know, about what's behind the Instagram name and, and stuff like that, like um, not knowing not knowing the person behind the Instagram name, like you, you you're almost always dealing with, you're always dealing with people, obviously, you're almost always dealing with people that have a lot of other responsibilities, families, kids, um, and, you know, the impact that, that certain expectations can have on, you know, someone with those responsibilities and trying to juggle everything and, and all that stuff. So, um, the expectations are high in this hobby, but I also think that's why so much competition has come come out of the woodworks to try to fulfill those expectations that that seem to be um, not always met in 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 a lot of areas. Um, but in terms of collecting, like actual, you know, segments of the hobby, I learned a lot. So it's weird because the hobby I learned the hobby was bigger than I, than I thought, but smaller at the same time. So I think there's way more people than I thought that really participate in this hobby at all levels. Like, and then I learned that again at PWCC because I had this eBay system of people that I worked with frequently, whether it was buyers or sellers, but then I get to PWCC and there's a, a huge list of people I've never heard of, you know? So it's like the hobby is huge, but 
within the hobby, there's these pockets that people sort of gravitate towards. And there's not a lot of those pockets. There's, 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 you know, generally speaking, a lot of collectors want the same type of stuff. They want rare stuff. They want scarce stuff of the things that they cared about. Um, but you know, it's, it's just, there's, there's a lot of different collectors out there, but we're not, there's, there's still small spaces within that big space. So. Well, that's a, that's an amazing insight. I'm glad I asked you that question. I think it's really interesting. It's cool. And it's like, you know, my, my perspective on it changes every day. It seems like, because I meet this whole new pocket of people or this whole group of collectors that I didn't even know existed. So it's an encouraging thing. When you, uh, when you were talking about the sort of the, the, expectations of uh, of clients and you said expectations are high my mind went straight to robert california and i think episode uh, season eight or nine of uh, of the office <laughs> if anyone knows that reference yes. He, yes expectations are high and they just put the fear of god into the whole office that they had to double their double their sales goal or something like that yeah that's love it how have your clients responded now i mean listen you you gave some heads up to people but how did they how were your were your clients just like your your, your consignment clients versus your your ebay purchasers mm-hmm. um how did they respond was there a lot of disappointment that you uh that you were i'd say about? um so so i did give you know a lot of heads up i think i made the actual announcement so so what i did was when i knew i was going to to uh at least halt consignments um i reached out to uh, all of my repeat consigners and let them know like, Hey, I'm going to make a really big announcement, um, pretty soon. That's, that's going to impact, um, future consignments and just really, you know, personally thank them all for, for all their support and, and, you know, giving me the opportunity and, and showing the ongoing support. Um, but then I made that announcement, I think, um, eight weeks before, I actually was going to stop consignment. So I, so I did give a, a pretty good heads up there. Um, and everyone was supportive because I, I shared, you know, generally the reasons why it, it was just generally to get more time and, and, uh, energy back for my family, not, not just time. Like, like, you know, I was home every night and saw my daughter and wife every night, but like, I was drained, you know, how I was drained and I was constantly thinking of what I needed to do the next day and what I might not have gotten to that day. And, and mentally that, that takes a toll and, and, you know, you can be there physically, but if you're not present, if you're not there mentally, like you might as well not be there. So that's really, I got to that point where I, you know, I was there, but I wasn't, I was thinking about work too much. Um, so, so they all respected that reason. Um, they all appreciated that reason. They all wished me the best. Um, but they were disappointed because they, they frankly liked the service and appreciated the, the, the love I gave to, you know, every, every customer and how I treated them. So, um, it, it was a mixture of both ton of support, little bit of disappointment, um, and then a lot of questions on, well, what's next <laughs> for sure. For sure. What advice, uh, actually, before I, I asked the question, if Richard Zangrillo was in here earlier in the chat, if he's still here, uh, 
I ask this question with people like him in mind. Um, what advice would you give somebody who's looking to start a consignment business, uh, yeah. you know, here in, in June, July of 2022? Yeah, and no, me, I'm sorry. Sorry, before you get into it, Nick, let me just say the reason why I, I shout out uh, Richard Zangrill is because he started he started a consignment business, I think, right around the time you stopped or, you know, ramped it up called LBBK Collectibles. So I a uh, little shout out for him there, but uh, curious, you know, what advice would you give him and others who are looking to do something like this? Yeah, I think, you know, just the, the, the advice I would give would be, you know, upfront, know what you're willing to risk. And, and that means financially, that means time, that means relationships, health, stress, know what, know what you're willing to risk and what the cost of that risk could be before you make any type of commitment to to starting it just just reflection really like like you know i think a lot of us can see like oh there's opportunity to make money here and then we just chase it um rather than thinking of like okay what are all the impacts this is going to have on every part of my life and am i willing to risk those things and if you are um then you can take that that next step, but you also have to understand what those risks can can do to those segments of your life. So, you know, I, I think it's important to take the time to reflect on those things. Um, and I think within this space, like especially, you know, I think with any business in this space, but you know, specifically talking about consignments, if you take care of the collectors, if you put the collectors first, you will always have a customer. I think that's I think that's a, a a simple thing that a lot of businesses that come into this space miss. They don't prioritize the collector first. They prioritize the deeper pockets first and those will come and go. But the collectors have been here for decades and they're going to be here for decades. They're, they're not going anywhere. So um, I think that's extremely underrated. It's simple and it's important. Um, and then it's just, it's, specifically with consignments, I would say two more things. I would say, know, you know, what your competition is, what collectors wants and find the gaps. There's gaps everywhere in every business, e even the most amazing businesses, there's a gap that can be filled. How can you fill it? Is it worth your time and effort to fill it? Can it be profitable enough if you do fill that gap? And then that leads me into my next thing is, is have a plan to build that out. And that's, that sounds simple, but that should be really elaborate. Um, and, and, you know, a business plan is helpful when you're talking about intervals of timelines, whether it's a one year, five year, 10 year plan or different intervals, but you should have an idea of, you know, this is the idea. This is how I think we can get it going. Um, this is what I'm hoping will happen at this time. If this does happen, we can go pursue this. If this doesn't happen, we need to reevaluate this and just keep that flowing. But to be able to map that out and to be able to uh, reflect and evaluate at those at those intervals is also extremely important. Um, and curveballs will also come in within those time frames. So you have to be able to to uh, adjust at the same time. So I, that was a lot. But, um, you know, that covers most of the important things uh, specifically in this space. Yeah, that's, that's great advice uh, all the way through. And I think at the end, what I heard was, you know, you got to be nimble to handle all these curveballs that are coming. And, 
you mentioned putting the the collectors first. You didn't say customers. You said put the collectors first. Was that deliberate? Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, I think we're finally really starting to see and, you know, that that can go into the state of the hobby talks. Like we're starting to see that collectors have sort of been right. This whole like weird wave we've been in the last two, three years, you know, through COVID that, that we're starting to see that collectors were right the whole time on, on, you know, specifically on what cards would be important, but also what things would be important in this hobby and like what, you know, businesses would, would last and, and all that good stuff. Like, um, you know, they, and they haven't gone anywhere. We've seen people come in and out over the last three years, but collectors haven't gone anywhere. They might've, they might've, you know, hidden their, um, you know, uh, man cave for a little bit with all the noise, but they were still collecting, you know? So I think collectors should be your focus because then you always will have a customer. Yeah, I hear you. That, that makes a lot of sense. And it, 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 uh, it aligns with something whenever I'm talking to any company in the hobby, um, if they are interested in what I have to say, I always say you always, if, if you put the hobby first, if you think hobby first, I think it'll lead you to making the right decisions for the business. If you don't yes. put hobby first, you might not make the right decision. So a couple of questions did come in here, Nick. Um, Lucky K was asking, you know, when you decided to close because you were just too busy, was it not viable to hire somebody else or even sell the business? Did you entertain those two possibilities? Yeah, great question. So, you know, that was a detail, a very important detail I left out. So, so really this whole, you know, halting the business um, conversation had started with my wife and myself. Um, you know, honest, honestly, probably the beginning of this year. Um, and at that time, I had just brought in my second full-time employee. Um, both of my employees were awesome. Um, you know, they, they worked their butts off. They wanted to learn more. They, they, you know, never had issues with, with any of them at all. They were rock stars. Um, and my part-timer as well, he was, he wasn't there as, as frequently, but he was awesome. Um, so it got to a point where, you know, we were, uh, my employees were kind of burning out because there was a lot on their plate. And, and, you know, one of them particularly was from, uh, Baltimore, Maryland. I'm in Quincy, Illinois. Um, it was his first time away from his family. He has, you know, uh, an incredible family that he's really close to. And, you know, it was a combination of, of burning out and, and, you know, missing family and actually having some really good opportunities back home to pursue as well. And, um, we were at a point where I was interviewing to hire a third full-time person. Um, and he was at a point where he, was just wanting to pursue other things, um, which he should have at that point. Um, and so it really came down to not only did we already need another person, I was going to re have to replace this guy that was frankly worth two good people. Like he, he was just a really good employee. Um, and then I would have to, you know, carry that slack while hiring, train these new people. Um, we were actually ready to sign on to build out this new elaborate website that was going to be uh, a big financial investment um but but would have been incredible um so so it was kind of a, at a point where it's like all right i'm either all in for the next two years because of what i'm about to do or now's my last chance to 
take a step back and reevaluate. So that's that's where it was. And, and in terms of selling the business, so so I still own the Wharf Sports Cards business. It's a it is still an LLC, um, but I can't take consignments because it's a conflict with my with my current job. But the brand, the Wharf, just means so much to me that I wanted to keep that. You know, just to have the option of doing anything I want with it at any point. You know if it comes to it. So that was more valuable to me than, than selling it and not knowing how that name would be, you know, represented moving forward. And then if you're just joining us a little bit late, uh, Nick did go into detail earlier on as to why that name is so important to him. So feel free to rewind later or come back and, and watch that again. A couple more questions. Uh, Skeppy says, how did you secure and insure holding clients cards? Yeah, that was something that like I, I made myself figure out immediately because it kept me up at night, like not, you know, before I ever started, like, how am I going to sleep at night knowing I have these valuable things of other people's that who knows what could, you know, what the possibilities are. So um, securing them like we had we had an office that was it was kind of a nice setup. It was an office within a building like it was like in the middle of a building so there was like the layers of the building that you had to get through to get to the office which was a good space but it was um like secured on the outside of the building secured to get into the office um cameras everywhere we had two big vaults um within like a locked room that that um secured everything so it was as secure as we could get it at the time and insurance like we had um actually a couple different policies on everything to just to make sure we were kind of triple covered on everything. I actually was lucky enough to uh, uh, make a connection with one of my employees. His dad has a ton of uh, businesses and has some really good connections with some people that work with some really big clients in insurance. So I, I got lucky networking there. And um, one of the things I thought I was uh, lucky and fortunate enough to do really well was I knew I knew everybody's stuff was secured and insured because otherwise I would have never been able to sleep. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear that for sure. For sure. Um, okay. And then uh, Crypto Collects has two questions. Did you have a timeline for operations initially when you first started uh, and and any chance you could come back to consign in the future? Yeah, I think so. Initially, when I started in March, um, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, you know what? I knew this coming in. It was part it was built into my to my business plan. You know, I gave myself a year to hit certain thresholds. We hit those pretty quickly, um, probably six months in sort of reevaluated and said, you know, at three years, you know, we need to be at these thresholds and I need to, you know, Time was built into that plan. I, I I knew within this plan, and and this was with discussions with my wife. Like I didn't want to be working eighty hours a week for the next ten years, right? So, the three year plan was really profit and sales thresholds. But what was my day? What were my days looking like? How much responsibility did I have? And you know, what was the outlook on those things? And um, we were crushing sales numbers, like like way ahead of schedule on sales numbers, but the, the time and stress levels were, were at an all time high to where it, it kind of tipped it over the edge. So the timelines were were there and we were ahead of schedule on all the timelines. And 
I think the website stuff we were going to do is going to be really cool and, and could have really, I think it really would have taken us to, to the next level um, in the eBay consignment space. But again, it's just something I had to weigh with, with what I was going to give up elsewhere. And, uh, you know, coming back to consign, it's, it's not a plan I have, you know, it's sort of built into why I took the PWCC position is, is I, I can do a lot of that still, you know, I still get to interact with, with collectors and, you know, now I actually have time to hop on the phone with, with these people and have real conversations and really get into what they need and, and, and want, um, in a service like PWCC. Um, but I don't have to, I don't have the time commitment of the operational stuff, right? I don't have to, I don't have to intake cards. I don't have to, you know, clean up trackers. I don't have to ship stuff out and, and keep all that organized. So, um, I'm, I'm able to sort of get the best of both worlds with, with this new position. All right, let's, uh, let's change gears. Let's talk about your role with PWCC. And I, I think my, my biggest question really is like, how did, how did the opportunity come about to present itself and, and how long did it take you to decide to, to take that opportunity? Yeah. So when I made that announcement on Instagram, um, I had a lot of people reach out a lot of, you know, I did have a lot of inquiries about buying the business, um, partnering, um, you know, uh, opportunities to, to help give me some time back, but keep me involved. Um, but then, you know, I have some relationships at PWCC, um, that, that reached out also at the same time and, um, offered this opportunity to, to, um, you know, essentially, like I said, do, you know, it's, it's the title is sales rep, but really it's, it's, I'm, I'm, talking to collectors in, in servicing their needs within the ecosystem of, of cards, buying, selling, you know, capital programs, whatever it is, like just finding out how can I help you get cards into your collection through PWCC. Um, so they were offering a, an opportunity to stay in the space to, you know, maintain my lifestyle with, with the, the, um, you know, salary and, and potential commission opportunities, but, um, um, give me back that time and flexibility I was looking for. So it was, it was really checking all three of the boxes that were most important to me. When did you actually start with them? So my first date was, uh, last Monday was my start date. So it's been about, um, not even a week. Not even, yeah, yeah. It's been a week and a half, like a week, a week and a half. Um, I knew I was going to, um, you know, I think I accepted the position, uh, first of June, probably. Um, so there was like a good month in between stopping consignments and starting with PWCC, but in the middle there, I knew I was going to do it. So, you know, the the opportunity came up two months ago and had a lot of conversations with my wife and, and, you know, decided a month ago and, uh, hit the ground running. And, uh, it's been, it's been really good so far. I'm glad I made the decision. Yeah, I was, my next question was going to be, how do you like it so far? What do you like about it? I understand what you like in terms of lifestyle. Um, but, you know, just speak a little bit about, um, you know, is there anything that you in your week and a half that has almost really surprised you? Anything you're, you're, that you weren't expecting? Anything that you were that that uh, was even better or worse? Any Anything you can say just to give us some insights into uh, as you've been onboarded there. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, a few things we, we touched on that stuck out was just, 
initially it was the amount of users on the platform that I've never heard of, which is a great thing. That means there's more people in this thing than we, than we know of. Um, and, and there's more people on that platform than I would have guessed, like, like by far. And that was probably me being oblivious, just having an eBay consignment and not, you know, n- you know, being so wrapped up in that world that I didn't know, you know, how big of a platform PWCC is and how many users are on that platform. Um, so, so that was a pleasant surprise. Um, my favorite part by far has just been, been it being able to hop on the phone and just literally just say like, you know, Hey, what do you collect? And, and why do you collect that? And, and, you know, seeing if there's ways that we can help, you know, uh, fuel your, your collecting desires, you know, whether that's finding cards that are hard to find in the vault, um, or, or, um, you know, selling cards to, to pay for other cards that you want more or the capital program, which is, you know, is an opportunity to leverage your cards to, to generate capital quick, to put towards other cards. Um, there's so many cool services that PWCC offers that I didn't know about that really, really can fuel the, the ecosystem of the hobby in ways that I haven't seen elsewhere. Um, so I'm really excited to be able to offer those and see how, you know, how I can put collectors first in, in this role. Right. You know, and, and, you know, I made my first my first private deal today, um, which was a big stepping stone moment for me. But Congrats. thank you. Thank you. And it, it, and it, it the card went into the hands of a collector and that like that just felt good, like like in the conversations. And, and, and it is actually somebody I've, I've known. So I knew who they were. I knew that they were a collector. I knew it's a card that that was going to get in their collection and stay there for a while. So. Like when you can make that happen um, and, and it actually came from I made an Instagram post just saying like, hey, there's there's so many incredible cards in the vault that nobody has any idea about. If you're looking for something in your collection, let me know. It came from that Instagram post and I was able to get a card, a, a, a rare, uh, important card into a player collector's collection and everybody won. And I'm like, if I can do that every day, like. Why wouldn't I do this? <laughs> the power of social media. I mean, yeah. one post and it it moves a card into a collection, you know, put some potentially, I don't know how your how your comps say, but potentially put some commission in your pocket and uh keeps the ecosystem churning, as you said. Exactly. And also within that post, I just learned quickly how many different types of collectors there are out there and not, you know, like whether they're collecting certain players or certain sets or or, or, or what, and you, you get to start those conversations on, you know, why they collect those things. And it's just, it's just fun to hear those stories, man. And, and, and build those relationships. All right, cool. Appreciate you uh, kind of filling us in on the, this next step in your, in your hobby and career and life journey for that matter. Yeah. Uh, back to you though, as a, as a individual within our hobby, what do you collect for yourself now besides uh, putting bulls cards into binder pages? Yeah. Yeah. Those days are over for now. Um, but, uh, man, like this, this part makes me smile because I'm really, I really evolved into like pure collecting now, you know, now, now that I've been able to get myself into a position in the hobby to make money on my job in the hobby, I can just focus on collecting, you know, to collect and and not worry so much about, you know, 
buying cards to make money. Yes, we all want to buy cards that hopefully appreciate, but like I'm just diving into the to the pure joy of collecting right now. So so I collect um I actively collect right now Jerry Rice. Like Jerry Rice is my go-to guy. Um I've got some stuff with me here. Um while you're while you're pulling them, I just want to go to a couple of quick comments, Nick. Uh, Terry Fortune says the game four in the Stanley Cup final is going to overtime. Oh, and if you've noticed my eyes going down here, it's because I've literally got the score <laughs> sitting in front of me so I can keep tabs on, on that game. But thank yes. you, Terry. And Joe Perot, uh, evening, gents. Love my PWCC oh. ball. Good to see you. Joe, Joe tried to, uh, to face, what's it called? Facebook Messenger video call me. Yeah. Like, 10 minutes ago and I had to, I had to, while I'm, you know, I'm looking at the score in all game, <laughs> I go, busy. I reject, reject. And I just, I just text him back. I go, I'm live. Oh, sure. <laughs> anyway, Joe, glad you, uh, glad you joined us here. Um, anyway. Okay. Sorry to interrupt, please. No, uh, yeah, let's see some of your cards. Yeah. So I'm really focused on nineties, Jerry Rice yeah. inserts and parallels. This is my personal favorite. And again, it's not the most valuable card I own. It's just my personal favorite, but I love the 97 uh, EX Essential Credentials football um, numbered out of 100. It's This one's 42 out of 100. It's hard to see that serial number. But, um, you know, this kind of is, is a reason why I love football cards. The football card in the EX 2000, they, the only parallel was the Essential Credentials out of 100. There's not the, there's not the two parallels. There's not the credentials and the essential credentials like basketball and baseball, right? So this essential credentials is the only parallel of the set of the original base set. And it's numbered out of a hundred. The design is unique too. Like if you've seen basketball, um, it's, they don't have like the sparkle star border. Um, the cloud design is a little different. So I really like the design and, and, you know, sort of extra added layer of scarcity in that set. Um, I've got the 99 essential credentials future as well. Love that card. I'd love to get, I'd love to get the now, but those are, those are just so tough to come by. What, what's the future number two? It's 67. Um, so pretty, not that's pretty good. Yeah. Not bad. It's kind of in the, kind of in the middle there of some of those serial numbers. So that I, means that the now would be numbered to like 30 something in there maybe, or yeah, less. I think it's 24, I want to say. Okay. I think it's 24. Um, and then I'd love to add the 98 um, to that set, the pink and like purple designed one. So love Jerry Rice. Um, and I, I dabble with some other guys in oh, 90s. Dabble with the green PMG. Yeah, but, it, you know, it is a green PMG. Beautiful card. It's Isaac Bruce. Um, so Ooh. I live two hours from St. Louis. And uh, so I, you know, was a big fan of the uh, early 2000s greatest show on turf, St. Louis Rams. Got the Marshall Falk. It's not in a Rams uni uniform, but it's it's the uh, the rubies out of 50. Those man, those in hand are are beautiful cards. Um, so so really active with Jerry Rice mostly, and then I dabble with some other 90s uh, Hall of Fame running backs and wide receivers within those sets as well. Um, and then my my sort of like personal attachment PC is Michael Porter Jr. Um, the attachment there, everybody loves sticker autos, right? That's what I heard. Um, <laughs> so the, the attachment there is I actually coached Michael in high school for a couple years. Um, so I've known him since he was like 15. Um, so that kind of led me into 
collecting him as a pro and then following the Nuggets um, religiously since he entered the league. And then that kind of led to my appreciation of Nikola Jokic, um, who I, I have some Jokic cards, but this card kind of marries my Jokic and MPJ collection with the dual on card auto there wow. from, from MPJ's rookie year. Very nice. And what a great way to uh, incorporate two of your player PCs into one card. I mean, it doesn't get yeah, any better than that. No brainer on that one. Yeah. yeah. When, that, when, I, when I knew that one existed, I knew I had to have it. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. So you coached Michael Porter Jr. when he was 15 years old in like what, yeah. high school basketball. Was he, at that point in time, was it obvious that he was going to be a uh, an NBA player or at least potentially? It was. So it, it was kind of a wild story. It was my first year of coaching at all. And, and um, I didn't know I wanted to coach. I knew I wanted to, to um, see if I wanted to coach and the opportunity uh, presented itself. I'm actually um, best friends with the head coach at that high school. Um, so that's how that opportunity presented itself. I, I, he brought me in as an assistant <clears throat> and that would have been Michael's sophomore year. So uh, you know, he's 15. And and I remember walking into the first open gym and, you know, it's like 30 minutes before open gym. So it's not even practice. It's off season. Just you come and play pickup and, you know, he's the only one there and just going through like drills by himself at a side court, you know, just drilling every shot he takes. He's 6'10 at that time. He's a sophomore in high school. He's 6'10, but like, plays like a guard and can shoot like, you know, better than anybody I've ever seen. So, so it really was like, you never really know at that age, you know, you think you're like, he's so much better than everybody else. Why couldn't he be a pro? But so many things can happen, but man, it was at that time, he, he, he also was a top three player in the nation at that time. And, and eventually he would become the, the number one player in that class, which was a pretty loaded, um, pretty loaded NBA draft class, but a uh, pretty loaded high school class as well. So yeah, sound, sounds like it. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. And his brother was a freshman at that time, Jonte, who's also 6'11", um, did end up playing with the Grizzlies. He tore his ACL twice at, at Mizzou. Um, so he's battled the injuries, but he actually ended up making it to the NBA as well. He's currently not rostered, but that that could change. So had the opportunity to coach both of them for a few years. No, oh, that's pretty neat, man. Very, very cool. Really cool. Yeah. And and as uh, M. Kem said, and I put it out there, uh, Mikey says, great reason to PC a player. Yeah, for sure. That's a personal connection. That's Those are the best reasons. And let me tell you, if this card, if, if I bought this as an investment, it would have been the worst investment of my life because, <laughs> because it is worth way less than what I paid for it. But I, I never cared at the time. I wanted to get the best card I could get of a player I had a personal connection with. That's, that's all it was about. So before I go on to my next question, I wanted to say that the cards you did show, like the essential credentials, Jerry Rice and the, well, the, then the future, um, I love those cards, man. Those are beautiful. I have I have the first one you showed with the sparkly outline, the sparkly yeah. border. I have an Emmett Smith raw copy of that card out of 100. Really cool card. I, I have an um, Emmett as well. Do you? Yeah. yeah I have a when, you said, when you said your Jerry Rice was number 42 of 100, is that what number my Emmett Smith is? Because that, oh, wow, that would be crazy. We'd have to trade just so you could put your the two serial numbers together, right? Yeah, no, that would you should let me know on that. That would be cool. I'll have a look. I'll have a look. I'll have a look. <laughs> My next question for you is going to be, 
Do you look at your collection as an investment? And you've touched on this a couple of times already tonight through our conversation, but just, you know, maybe take us through the evolution of, of your, your thoughts on that as far as your collection goes. Like, you know, when you were younger, it's a collection, then maybe it becomes an investment, then maybe it goes back to being a collection. And then if you can, if you can weave in also the fact that you cannot buy cards from PWCC moving forward and how yes. that impacts how that impacts your at your your buying activity. Yeah, a couple, that, a couple of a double barrel there for you if you don't mind. That last bit about not buying on PWCC was probably the hardest part of that decision. Was can I am I okay with not being able to buy cards from PWCC and you know ultimately the other things outweighed it. Um, I see that stat there from from Joe man. I so real quick while he's on that twenty two postseason touchdowns. That's incredible. Um, 200 plus in the regular season. Uh, Jerry Rice also. So I, when I read that, I initially thought it was uh, he was talking about the 22 or 23 touchdown season, um, which was the the NFL strike season. And it was like only like 12 games. And Jerry Rice had 23 touchdowns in those in those 12 games. Um, but anyways, yes, records galore for Jerry Rice. Um, but uh yeah, so my evolution on the thought process of investing versus collecting, it I really have evolved in that thought process. Like when I came back in, it really what to be honest, what attracted me, reattracted me was that there was opportunities to make money in in cards now. I didn't know that was a thing. So that is, you know, learning that was what brought me back into re-exploring the hobby. Um but um, you know, it, it, and, and that's what started this whole thing was making money on the side, but it was, it was providing extra income for me, but it was also like fueling my collection at the same time. Um, so when I decided to go full time in this, it was, it, it had to be about money to a certain extent. I had to be buying cards to make money on um, at least to, to, to support my family at that time. I thought that's what I was going to do was, was, you know, whether I was being a dealer or whatever, whatever that looked like. Um, but when the consignment opportunities sort of presented themselves and I thought there was a, a chance there to, to build a, a stable income, um, I took that and, you know, having a, a, a reliable income from that allowed me to evolve into, uh, more of a collector because there was less pressure on me to make money on all of my cards because I had, I had income. Um, so now that I'm in that space, it's, I've just evolved into more and more of a collector, but, but I do, you know, the thing is, I think the, the most collectible cards, like the, when, when you approach as a collector and you're going after collectible segments and collectible players and collectible and significant cards, like they're good investments. They, they are, they, they, they naturally interweave, whether you're approaching it as an investor or as a collector, um, it, it, there's investment opportunity within that. So I think it's like, you know, what, what led me to Jerry Rice was he was my favorite football player growing up. And I felt like I, I, for one, I love this card. So, so it's funny because I'm an MJ guy too. And MJ, his rookie card, 1986, Jerry Rice rookie card, 1986. You can be an MJ collector kind of by collecting Jerry Rice for one one hundredth of the price. Like, like that's how I approached it is I can have all these awesome MJ cards that I, 
that I love the look of and the importance of, but can't afford. And I can just buy the Jerry Rice versions of those cards. Um, and then, you know, that kind of leads you down to, to other rabbit holes within those segments. But, you know, I don't know if that was too long of an answer, but yeah. um, well, that's, that's I, what got me here. I did that exact thing that you're talking about with the uh, a cut above. You know, I wanted the MJ. It, it was very expensive. I ended up picking up a, a, a Shaquille, but I also picked up a Jerry Rice. So I have a, a nice Jerry Rice, um, yeah. a BGS nine holder of the cut above. So, um, and I think I mentioned, I picked up the Intimidation Nation uh, from some, from, uh, I think that came from Chrissy Buckets off of uh, Instagram. Yeah. Who I just spotted it in a post. And so I can totally oh, get course. behind uh, Jerry Rice. Definitely. Yeah, no, and, and he's been fun. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, there's just so many reasons to collect him, but then when you, you look at significance, the significance of Jerry Rice, like he he's miles ahead of everybody in the wide receiver record books. And it's, it's hard to imagine, you know, that stuff changing. And, um, you know, when I, when I watch these current guys and I, I get excited about them, it just makes me appreciate Jerry Rice even more. Um, so it's been fun, a fun journey. Yeah. Right on that. Right on. Well, thanks for sharing that. Are we going to see you at the national next month? I'm hoping to, I'm really hoping to. So my wife is about seven months pregnant now. Um, so, mm. uh, you know, you know, picking, picking your opportunities to get away is, is tough. Um, but that's at the top of the list. Um, I need to get out to Oregon as well, um, to, to meet everybody there at PWCC. I've been doing things remotely right now. So, um, I'm leaning towards getting there. Hope, very hopeful to get there, and um, should know in the next week or two or not. Are you going to be there? I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm booked. I'm yeah. booked to be there. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go to New York for a few days early with my wife. She's going to fly back home on, I think, the Tuesday, and I'm going to make my way to Atlantic City. Yeah, for the I next really five I, days. Yeah, I, I don't want to miss it. And if I get there, like I'm, I'm going to get a hold of everybody in my contacts and just meet as many people as I can. Yeah, I'm sure you'll put some on Instagram. I'll, I'll keep tabs on you so I just at least yeah. know to look for you and make sure that we can, uh, you know, shake hands and uh, meet in person, especially after doing this episode together. Um, I just want to call Skeppy put a question out here. I mean, you've only been a salesperson for nine days. So uh, unless there's something you want to uh, you want to uh, address this with, um, we can just kind of leave it for now. Oh, I think that's a good question. You know, the, I think the challenges will also evolve, you know, sort of like my my collecting journey. Um, but, you know, the, the, the quick, easy answer is, um, you know, being collector focused and being a salesperson don't always align. So navigating how to do both in, in where all sides win has probably been the biggest challenge. But I think it's completely doable. And, in, in, in the, you know, I've already done it in that private sale to where, you know, all, all parties were happy car got into the hands of a collector and, you know, it, it's a win for everybody. So, so far that's been the biggest challenge, but also sort of, uh, excites me the most as well. All right. Well, listen, I think we're, we're good here. We're just over an hour. It's a nice light version of sports cards live for a Wednesday. Unless there's anything else you'd like to talk about, anything going on in the hobby that's interesting to you lately that you want to uh, you want to raise and just have a quick chat about, I'm open to it. Uh, if not, we can wrap it up. And while you think about that, Nick, I'll just let everybody know. Check out the ticker. If you are not yet following Nick on Instagram, what are you doing? 
but you can now start at the Wharf Sports Cards. Um, I'll, I'll shout out uh, Pristine Auction and Center Stage App channel sponsors. Appreciate them. And uh, if you are not yet a registered user of Pristine Auction on the ticker right now, use code SCL when you register for $10 off your first purchase or order. And of course, Center Stage App um, doing great things in the hobby and constantly improving their their uh, photo recognition. So be, for, be sure to download the Center Stage app in the Apple iStore. And Troy, well, a couple of thank yous coming in. Troy says, thanks for sharing your story, Nick. Skeppy says, thanks for the replies. Great short show. Shorter than usual, but this this is how things evolve, Nick. You do one yeah. of these, and you realize, oh, maybe I should start a short kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. Yeah, Crypto says thanks to you as well, Nick. Thank you guys for thanking him. And thank you. Listen, not a ton of chat activity tonight. Maybe because people aren't expecting sports cars live on a Wednesday. But I will say that the uh, the questions and comments have been among the highest quality I've seen, uh, you know, just uh, pound for pound. So thank you, everybody, for that. Joe says, appreciate the show, guys. Nicely done. Hit that like button. Thank you, as always, Joe. Thank you, Jay back. Appreciate that. You good, Nick, or anything else you want to touch on? No, I'm good, man. I think, you know, you know, we, we talked about a lot of fun things. Um, thank you for letting me share my story. I, th I think it's cool to be able to share that stuff and, and get to know people on a deeper level. Um, so I appreciate that. And, um, you know, follow my Instagram page. I, I want to put out more content on my page, you know, um, just highlighting different things I see in the community and, and opportunities. And, you know, if you guys need anything at PWCC, all my information is is posted on my Instagram page. My cell phone is there. My email is there. Don't, don't hesitate to reach out if you guys need anything with, with uh, PWCC. All right. Appreciate that. I'll let everybody know this Saturday on the show on sports cards live, Nate balance, also known as on Instagram as in cardboard Veritas will be joining the show and I also want to let you know that episode five of the tag grading reveal series is going to uh, occur on July the 9th. So that's it for now. Thank you, Mikey. Appreciate that. Thank you, Eric Stefano. Good to see you. And uh, with that, this episode is over. Nick, you hang tight one moment. Everybody else, have a great week ahead. We'll see you next Saturday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.